Hi, Frank. How are you? Hey there. I'm fine. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Guess you were just doing the introduction to Gervas. Uh, for yeah, for the room on Monday, which will be really with Peter Brecht. Uh, will be really interesting. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that that used to happen when the small is still. Yeah, the room is still small. <laughs> the smallest little room. Yeah, and people are just checking in and they want to have this conversation already ongoing, and then they're kind of. Ah, what's the word? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> happens at the beginning. Yeah. Hi, Sophia. Uh, we'll start on top of the hour. Just um, hi, David. How are you today? Full of expectation. That is what I was looking for. Yeah, full of expectation. You're already expecting an ongoing discussion and want to listen in. Yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. So it's fine. Uh, it's kind of boring the first 15 minutes. So, but um, I shared the paper in the chat should be open access so if people want to look at it i also the presentation is also pinned on top of the room so if <clears throat> if anyone wants to have a head start and look at it um i think both the paper and the presentation are really interesting so yep looking forward to the talk our guest speaker will be here in a few minutes. So thanks for coming. I, I would just say upfront, I have no idea in this topic, so I, I won't have any questions. So I, but I'm, I'm curious, so I'm, I'm listening, but, uh, that, that is kind of an area where I have no knowledge or not much. Yeah. Sometimes with the presentation, like something comes up, like a question. So, I mean, it's a re yeah. related to the whole um, to, to the whole immunology with COVID. So I'm kind of that the T cells are there and what they're generally doing. That's something um, I know, but I have no idea about the cells themselves.
Oh, yeah, I'm not sure if that will be uh, discussed, but oh, yeah, there's development of um, of these cells. Yeah, she will explain a few developmental steps and um, lineage before she goes in. So, yeah, that's good. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hi, Katarina. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for coming. We were starting uh, sorry to look for the last minute rescheduling. Uh, thank you for accommodating me. Oh yeah, don't <laughs> worry. It's uh, it's informal, so we are happy that you come and take the time to talk with us. So um, so no worries. Thank you. Thanks for giving us a heads up and uh, meet Frank. Uh, Frank, meet Kim. Uh, we were already. Hey there. We were already looking at the slides <laughs> a little bit, but we have still around four minutes before we start. So. Um. Yeah, no problem. And let me know if my connection sounds okay. Uh, I'm in a new building, and I, I think the signal sometimes is spotty. So uh, do let me know if that that becomes a problem. Okay. Yeah, for now it you sound perfect. So Okay. <laughs> yeah. And happy Friday. <laughs> I hope, you know, your week wasn't. Happy Friday. Strong. It's a long weekend. <laughs> yes. It's a long weekend. Exactly. You're having, you know, you're doing something on Labor Day. Uh, absolutely nothing. It, it, you know, good way. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, yeah, we're going uh, to the beach for a few days before my kids' school. Uh, for for whatever reason, they start earlier than other schools. Like they're in a charter school in New York City, so mm -hmm. they kind of start a few weeks earlier than everyone else. But so I'm kind of happy that we get this long weekend before. You know, it's such a long stretch until they have off again. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, really gotta re recharge as much as possible and then have the endurance. Exactly. So, <laughs> and their school starts so early. Like, I feel so bad for them. Um, their How school starts at seven. seven uh, eight. eight? 7.30. It's early, right? I feel bad. It's early. I, I thought some European countries decided to start later because they, they, they think that actually uh, has a better impact on kids' performance later in life. I thought there was some st study about it. I was like, yes, should have done it when I was a student. Yeah, I agree. 
so yeah, in Portugal, school start at nine. When I went to school in Germany, it started at eight fifteen, I believe. So, but seven thirty is way too early. <laughs> seven thirty is way too early, and the parents they have to get up much earlier. Oof. Yes, and then they don't. I mean, for me, it's good, but um, they they still go until. Three thirty, so it's a very long day for them of sitting, you know, just sitting. Well, anyhow, <laughs> I just feel bad for them. <laughs> I mean, I can, you know, for traffic and everything, it's kind of better for me, you know, around that time, like less oh. traffic and. But anyhow. Yeah, but that that is a draining day.、Um, how many hours is that? Eight eight hours. Oof. Yeah. So do they still have after school activities like clubs or? Um. Yeah. So my, I try to keep it fairly low. So、sports. they have two things. Yeah, they have like two sports. They used to have more, but it was just too stressful. So this year. We might just stay with one or two, at least in the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know.、Uh, yeah, it's two thirty-one, and the session will be recorded. So, I think we can slowly start and、um, and go from there with the introduction and everything. So,、um, yeah. Um, welcome everyone to Science Society, and of course, a special、uh, warm welcome to Dr. Kim Lafay. I'm hoping I'm saying your name、uh, right.、Yeah. And oh, perfect, good.、Um, and before we start,、uh, let me introduce you to、um, our guest speaker here today. Um, she did her bachelor in, in biochemistry and developmental biology at the University of Toronto in Canada, and her PhD in biochemistry and molecular genetics at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and and she was trained by Dr. Stephen Ackerman,、um, where she studied ozone.、Um, No field biology and how to antagonize them in allergic diseases.、Um, during her postdoc, she worked with Dr. Adam Schrump, and who is the senior author of this current paper at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And、uh, then she they moved the lab to the University of Missouri. And um, currently, um, she is an assistant research professor at the University of Missouri, and she continues working with、um, Adam,、uh, studying the role of TCR signaling and T and B cell malignancies.、Um, yeah, it's really an honor having you here. And if it's okay with you, before we start, we usually ask. Uh, a couple of interview questions, if that's okay with you. Yes, please go ahead. <laughs> so,、um, 
how did you realize that you wanted to um, choose a career path in science? Was it maybe something you always wanted to do or did it, you know, come later or some book that you read? Um, if you if you could share that with us. Thank you. Right. Um, but where that made me realize, oh, science of my destiny kind of uh, thing. I, I think uh, growing up, I did gravitate towards the math, the, the science subjects. And then uh, biology in particular is something that I realized I, I wasn't bad at. Um, so I guess I, I continued doing it. And then at some point, I probably reached an inflection point where it turned from something that I didn't mind to something that I quite enjoyed doing. Uh, so I think it, it was it was gradual. Um, and eventually, I discovered questions that I would like to contribute solving in the field. Um, so yeah, I, I pursued that in bachelor's uh, through graduate studies and I guess all the way till today's session. Wonderful. I, I really um, enjoy hearing that you chose something that you actually like doing. I think it's, it's very lucky to be able to do that. So um, that's wonderful to hear. And um, yeah, how is there maybe a story about how this specific project came about? Um, was it maybe really easy or hard to get funding? Was there maybe some interesting finding from a previous project that led to this? Or was it like a really straight path that led to this uh, publication? So the first part of your question actually got cut off due to my poor signal. Uh, were you asking What was the impetus uh, that drove us to this particular project? <laughs> Would you rephrase that, please? You were cutting out due to signal. Uh, hold Let me just uh, try to reconnect uh, using a wireless signal and see if that is slightly better. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes either the Wi-Fi or either the cellular data works better. Um, I'm not sure if you're on a desktop or on the phone, but if you're on the phone, sometimes switching to cellular uh, works better. So how about now? Um, do I sound slightly more, uh, less cut, cut out? Yeah, yeah, now you sound good. Yep, thank you. Okay, uh, let's, let's try this connection for a while. I, I do apologize for uh, this particular lack of signal in, in this spot of the building. Uh, could you please repeat the last question? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, it was um, like how you you came to work in this specific project and, um, you know, how it came about this project. Was it, you know, built on something before interesting or, um, you know, is there a background story? Like, was it really easy to get funding or was it really hard? Like, um, yeah, right. if, you, yeah. if you could share. Yeah, thank you. So uh, it, it is, uh, there is a, a slide of a, a backstory. Uh, 
since my background was in uh, allergy and uh, the granulocytes, it, it might be weird that I suddenly started working on T cells, the, the adaptive branch of the immunity. So when I started working with Adam, uh, I was actually thinking of uh, continue doing things along the allergy line. Um, and uh, while developing that model, Adam said, you know, we, we have this leukemia that nobody was looking at. I, I, I think we needed just a one last experiment and then we can kind of see where the story is going. I was like, great, you know, that's, that's great time, uh, great utilization of some downtime to do a last experiment. Um, and of course, famous last words, one last experiment led to the next last experiment. Uh, and before we know it, uh, it was two institutions five years later. Um, but it was interesting that that first last experiment led to some unexpected uh, results that, that we are seeing in today's paper. So it was really not a project that we expected would launch in, in this particular direction. And whatever I plan to do earlier, uh, when I first joined a lab, that sort of faded into the background. Uh, so it's actually completely accidental that, that we started, the, uh, almost accidental that, that we started this work. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm glad you did that one last um, <laughs> experiment. <laughs> we had a guest speaker about talking about deep sea brine pool discovery he did, and they were supposed to stop um, and go back to the surface and then find anything. And then they decided to stay five minutes longer. And those mm -hmm. five minutes led to this humongous discovery. So it's so interesting how these things happen. And uh, I'm really glad you, you know, you did that. So um, yeah. with that, the stage is yours. And um, yeah, uh, please let the, the, for everyone, the presentation is pinned on top so you can access it. And um, yeah, thank you. Cool. Uh, thank you again for the opportunity to uh, let me share uh, about this work with you. Uh, so I chose a journal club kind of style. Um, so do feel free to interrupt me at any time and we can start a discussion. Um, so uh, today I'll just present some highlights of this uh, research, which is really about the role of uh, early expression and early signaling through the alpha beta TCR. Uh, in contributing uh, to T-cell cancer generation. Uh, so throughout the presentation, I'll refer to that PDF presentation and then I will call out the slide number uh, so that we can all follow. Uh, if you would like to refer to the original paper, it's on the next slide, uh, on slide number one. The, the, the link is there. Uh, so the keyword of this work is really early. Uh, what does early expression or early signal, uh, signaling mean? Means So uh, we'll spend some time defining this word early. And to do that, uh, we need to understand some key aspects of uh, T-cell development, which is shown on uh, slide number two. 
So the majority of the T cells that we and mice have uh, are called conventional alpha beta T cells. Uh, they're so named because their T cell receptors have a TCR beta subunit and then a TCR alpha subunit. Now, the TCR specificities are not encoded in germline, uh, but they have to be generated during T cell development, and that is uh, de depicted on this slide. Uh, so, uh, T cells are unlike other lineages of the blood uh, in that its development happens exclusively in the thymus and not in the bone marrow. So, how this happens is that uh, progenitors derived from the bone marrow hematopoietic stem cells will see the thymus where they first become early thymic progenitors or ATPs. Uh, this then go through a double negative stage. So that is double negative for the CD4 and CD8 surface proteins. They will then become double positive for these proteins before finally maturing into either CD4 or CD8 single positive proteins. Uh, once they are mature, they can be uh, exported out of the thymus into the periphery to fulfill their T-cell functions. So the CD8 T-cells are typically thought as cytotoxic killer cells, and then the CD4 T-cells are the helper T-cells. So, uh, for example, the CD4s can help uh, B-cells make high-affinity uh, antibodies against offending pathogens. So the uh, sequential generation of first the TCR beta subunit and then the TCR alpha subunit uh, happens in the DN and then DP stages respectively. So let's look at that a bit in detail. And that's on slide number three. So at the DN stage, uh, the TCR beta subunit is first uh, produced. And after it's produced, it has to be tested to see if it's functional. Now this test is called the beta selection checkpoint. If the TCR beta is functional, you will be able to pair with a surrogate uh, TCR alpha. So it's a sort of a placeholder alpha chain just to, to see if it's folded correctly. Now, if it is able to pair, uh, this essentially uh, allows you to form a pre-TCR signaling complex. And that pre-TCR allows the DN thymocyte to pass beta selection so that you can survive, proliferate, and uh, differentiate into the next stage. The next stage is the DP stage, uh, shown on slide four. Uh, so at DP stage, TCR alpha is allowed to generate. And then for uh, most thymocytes, this DP stage is uh, the first time when the mature alpha beta TCR is first expressed. So now we can define what early expression of the alpha beta TCR means. It means earlier than DP. So it's expressed at DN stage. Slide uh, five. Uh, so this early expression of the alpha beta TCR uh, is, is not discovered by us. Uh, in fact, it, it was first studied by Harold von Bomer's group, I believe at Harvard. Um, and Ianes Ifantis was the first author of this uh, JEM paper. So in this paper, they made this critical observation. That's uh, in the mouse that is deficient for pre-TCR alpha, there are DP thymocytes. So what this means is uh, in the textbook T-cell development model that, that we just covered, uh, the DN thymocyte uh, has to have the pre-TCR alpha, that is the gray subunit, uh, which is a critical component of the pre-TCR. So without the pre-TCR, the, the DN thymocyte cannot pass beta selection and therefore cannot differentiate into DP cells. But if we look at the facts plot, 
there is a great population of DP cells present uh, in mice without the pre-TCR alpha. This means something else must be doing the job of the pre-TCR in driving proliferation differentiation of these cells. So then uh, on slide number six, um, they uh, found that there are DN cells that actually uh, prematurely express the alpha-beta TCR. And it's in fact the alpha-beta TCR that's driving the proliferation and differentiation of cells into DP stage. And somehow that was the last people heard of these cells. There were no more studies about them uh, until we decided to, to pick it back up. So just to simplify uh, referring to these cells, we gave them an acronym called Eden cells because they are uh, early alpha-beta TCR-expressing cells that are neg double negative for CD4 or CD8. So that's really quite a mouthful. Um, so having introduced the, the cell of interest to you, um, we can now launch into the, the work itself, and that's uh, on uh, slide number seven. So uh, the first thing we did was to verify that we can indeed uh, identify these Eden cells in our hands uh, with modern flow cytometry cell markers. Uh, this is because since the last publication, uh, a lot more cell types have been characterized in the CD4, CD8 uh, double negative compartment. So they are cells that may express TCR but they do not belong to the conventional alpha-beta T-cell lineage. So we do not want to mistake those cells for our Eden cells, which can differentiate into real T-cells. And this is what the, the slide shows. Uh, so shown here are thymocytes of a wild-type mouse thymus. So if we look into the CD4, CD8 double negative uh, box gate uh, in the first panel, uh, and then we'll remove uh, cells that express markers for other lineages, such as gamma-delta T-cells, INKT cells or NKT cells, uh, we can finally arrive on the fourth panel, a rare population of cells that express surface TCR beta. Now, unlike uh, TCR beta, there is no one antibody that stains all the TCR alphas. Uh, but with whatever body, uh, antibody we can uh, get commercially, uh, we're still able to identify cells that uh, express surface alpha. Um, and that we have antibodies for. So uh, those, so showing that there are cells that uh, express both the alpha and beta on their surface. So this will be the cells uh, in the first uh, box. So what this slide shows is basically uh, we can still identify Eden cells in the mouse thymus, uh, but they are rare. Uh, we quantify them to be right about 1% of all DN cells. So out of the thymus, they are 1% of the 1%. Um, now, uh, after identifying uh, cells, we, we wanted to make sure that we uh, can see them as a phenotypically distinct subtype of cells from uh, all these other lineages in the thymus. So on slide number eight. Um, uh, so on slide number eight, uh, we did um, uh, a flow cytometry experiment to make sure that they are, can be uh, stably identified from other cell, cell types. So what we did was we stained uh, wild-type thermocytes with a bunch more markers and then did a uh, spade analysis. So what spade analysis is, is essentially a unsupervised hierarchical clustering um, using surface marker expression. So what we can see uh, is that using the differential expression of this bunch of markers, 
uh, double negative thymocytes can really be clustered into distinct clusters, which can then be annotated. So the color uh, scheme, the color scale on this particular tree graph here uh, corresponds to surface TCR beta expression. So the warmer the color, the higher the expression. So what is immediately evident is that uh, in our Eden cells, uh, it has obvious expression of surface TCR beta. And this is in contrast to conventional double negative cells, uh, which either do not express TCR or express only the pre-TCR, which is too low to be detected by flow cytometry. There are other unconventional uh, cells that express TCR, such as INKT cells, uh, but then uh, they obviously cluster away from the Eden cells. Therefore, this shows that Eden cells can be reliably uh, identified by flow cytometry and they have a, a very distinct surface phenotype. And then uh, on slide nine, uh, we discover that we can see Eden cells also in human thymocytes. So shown here is a pediatric thymus. Uh, if we look at the human CD4 and CD8 double negative cells, and similarly gate out gamma delta cells and NKT cells, we can also arrive at a population rare, but uh, of this population that express surface CD, uh, TCR alpha and beta. Uh, so uh, th this then is, is great news because this means that uh, if Eden cells exist both in human and mice, uh, we can study uh, Eden cells using mouse models. But uh, at this point you might ask, well, you didn't use so many markers here uh, as you did for the mouse cells. So how can you be sure that um, you are looking at the same cells uh, uh, as the, the mouse thymocytes. So it is true that human DNA markers are not as well worked out as in the mouse. Uh, so we got around the problem by comparing the developmental stages of the mouse versus human cells by using developmental markers. And this is shown on slide 10. Uh, so in the mouse, shown on the left, uh, the DNA stage can be further divided into substages. Um, and mouse in the cells are at DN3 to DN4. Uh, it is not shown here, but uh, if we stain it also with the beta selection marker, we know that they all passed beta selection. So uh, for the T cell specialists in the audience, uh, mouse in the cells are at DN3B to DN4. Now, uh, we found that human in the cells actually correspond well with this mouse stage, but of course uh, with different markers human thymocytes are not uh, divided into the DN1 to 4 system, uh, but they are also post-beta selection. And post-beta selection is evident uh, when the human DN thymocytes start to lose CD34, which is a stem cell marker, uh, while with the concurrent acquisition of CD28, which is a beta selection marker. So uh, this data shows that the human Eden cells correspond well with mouse Eden cells, again, uh, giving us confidence that we can model and study uh, Eden cells using mouse models. However, uh, remember mouse Eden cells is only 1% of all the DN thymocytes. So this still makes it a very difficult cell to study just because of how rare it is. So on slide 11, uh, we turn to the OT1 T cell transgenic system. So in OT1 mice, uh, all, the, uh, all of the T cells express only one TCR, the OT1 transgenic TCR. 
So all the, their T cells will have the same specificity, and that is against some uh, peptide sequence in chicken, uh, uh, chicken ova. So now, for in these mice, a, a very important property to us is that the transgenic TCR, the OT1 TCR, is expressed early than the TCRs in uh, wild-type thymocytes, such that a full 76% of the DN thymocytes will express the P uh, TCR. And this is much better than the 1%. But equally important to us uh, is that the OT1 TCR is not expressed too early. Uh, but luckily for us, uh, this TCR is actually expressed at exactly the same timing as the even TCR in wild-type mice. So shown on the right, it is also at DN3 to DN4. So uh, then uh, this is again really good for us because uh, this shows that OT1 is a great model uh, to study mouse uh, even cells. Now on slide 12, uh, it's just a quick summary to make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, so I've told you that there exists a, a special type of T cell progenitors uh, called Eden cells uh, because they are double negative for CD4, CD8, and they have early alpha-beta T cell expression. These cells exist both in the mouse and human thymus, uh, and we can use the OT1 system to model them. And for the rest of the talk, we'll see what the OT1 system uh, can teach us. Uh, but before that, let's actually consider uh, just quickly the risks uh, associated with development. And this is on slide 13. Now, uh, the process of T-cell uh, T development actually has to be tightly regulated. This is because, remember, TCRs uh, are not encoded in the germline, that they're sequenced. But uh, they have to be generated through probabilistic genomic re recombination. Therefore, uh, quality checks must be in place to achieve an effective and non-autoimmune repertoire. But in addition, uh, there also needs to be safeguards against the risk of transformation. Uh, and these risks can, impose, can be imposed by um, errors during the genomic recombination or just from proliferative stress. And when such safeguards fail, uh, transformation of thymocytes can occur in the form of TALL. Now, this T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia is a rare but aggressive cancer of the blood. Um, it typically involves many systems of the body, so the patients can experience uh, problems with bone marrow function, uh, as well as problems with uh, the central nervous system and the respiratory systems. Uh, regarding pathogenesis, uh, TALL arises from uh, transformed uh, developing T-cells. And uh, typically, the surface phenotype of these tumors can be very heterogeneous. Uh, this is true for uh, cancer cells within the same tumor, as well as, as um, different tumors among different patients. And this is actually easy to understand, uh, because transformation can happen to thymocytes at different developmental stages. And once a thymocyte is transformed, cancer cell, as well as its progeny, can actually still go along its original developmental program for a little bit before becoming permanently frozen in space, uh, in time. Therefore, uh, what you can observe is this uh, very heterogeneous surface phenotype corresponding to thymocytes arrested at different developments. So, uh, besides this heterogeneous surface phenotype, 
uh, the molecular genetics of TALL can, can be equally heterogeneous. Uh, many mutations have been characterized for this disease, but overwhelmingly uh, activating notch mutations is a hallmark feature of TALL. Uh, more than 60 cases uh, will, 60% uh, of cases will exhibit this mutation. Now with um, modern therapy, the cure rates for TALL is uh, really not bad uh, at 75% for pediatric uh, cases, but that still does speak to 25% of unmet need. And not to mention the cure rates is much lower for adult patients. There's also um, poor uh, prognosis for uh, patients with diseases that do not respond to therapy or they relapse. And lastly, TALL is uh, less amenable to CAR T cell therapy, which has been successful uh, to, to treat other blood cancers. Uh, and this is uh, because this is a T cell cancer. So firstly, it is actually quite difficult to harvest uh, enough healthy T cells from the patient to engineer CAR Ts out of. Secondly, uh, if the CAR Ts are engineered to kill T cells, uh, they will probably kill themselves. So antigen selection can be a challenge. Therefore, to address this unmet need, uh, I think there is great urgency in understanding the pathogenesis of the disease better. But there's also urgency in integrating uh, immunophenotype with the underlying uh, mechanism of transformation uh, so that we can better stratify the risk of the patients uh, as well as discover maybe new avenues for intervention. And it is in this spirit uh, that we undertook this project. So uh, slide 14. Uh, first, we realized uh, eaten cells in humans can transform and transformed eaten cells can uh, form part of a TALL tumor. And this is illustrated by patient number one. So there's a lot going on this slide, but I will take you through it. So in uh, panel A, uh, we are seeing is the peripheral blood of the patient. Um, what we can see is that there are actually residual healthy T cells in this patient, such as the single positive CD8 cells. So if we quickly look into panel B, uh, we can see that the CD8 single positive cells uh, are T cells because they express the CD7 T cell marker and they are positive for surface TCR as expected. Uh, and this is marked by uh, surface CD3 expression. But other than this residual healthy uh, T cells, there is a huge smear of cells expressing variable CD4, CD8. And this is the bulk tumor. So what about the double negative uh, cells of this patient? If we look at the DN cells, uh, we can indeed also see a population, a small population of T cells because they are CD7 positive, but they also express surface TCR. So they are starting to satisfy uh, our criteria for being an Eden cell in that they are DN, they have TCR. But how do we know that they are transformed Eden cells? Well, we can look at their CD45 expression in panel C. So in uh, human uh, T cell development, CD45 level tracks with maturity. So relative to the mature, healthy CD8 single positive cells represented by the gray histogram, we can see that the uh, transformed Eden cells uh, ha have less CD45. Now, because we do not express, uh, we typically, we, we do not expect healthy, immature uh, thermocytes in the periphery. So these immature cells must be the blastic 
uh, malignant cells. So because in this patient, OT cells are also Eden cells, uh, we can say that um, Eden stage is the phenotypically earlier stage that we, we can identify in this uh, TLL case. But this is not the uh, case for the second patient. If we look at the blood of the second patient in the lower panels, uh, this patient actually looks broadly similar to the first in that we can also see residual healthy T cells, uh, but also this big smear of CD4, CD8 um, heterogeneous population representing the bulk tumor. If we look into the DNA compartment of this patient, uh, we can actually see that TCR expression is variable uh, for CD7 uh, positive T cells. Most of the T cells will be negative for TCR, but some also has uh, dimmed TCR. So how this patient is different than the first is that transformation probably happened in a cell that is earlier than Eden stage when TCR expression has not happened yet. And this last point can really be better seen uh, if you look at the bio, uh, bone marrow biopsies of these patients, and that is shown on the next slide, on slide 15. Uh, so if we look to the right, uh, what we can see for the first patient is that the bone marrow is uh, completely infiltrated by cancer cells, and all the cancer cells express the alpha-beta TCR, as indicated by the brown staining. In contrast, uh, the cancer cells do not express gamma-delta TCR, which is the alternate uh, T-cell lineage. So at this point, I would like to bring up just another uh, aspect of T-cell uh, development. So when a thymocyte passes alpha-beta, uh, uh, when, when a thymocyte passes beta selection, it actually commits to the alpha-beta lineage, such that it loses uh, the ability to pursue the alternate gamma-delta lineage. So that this data is very much in agreement with Eden cell being a post-beta selection cell type. Now contrast this with the second patient, right? The second patient's bone marrow is also heavily infiltrated by tumor cells, but it is infiltrated by tumor cells that express the alpha-beta TCR and is infiltrated by cancer cells that express the gamma-delta TCR. So again, this shows that transformation happened in a cell that still retained or they still had uh, the ability to pursue either the alpha or the alpha beta or the gamma delta lineage. So it happened earlier. So what this collectively uh, data is showing is that uh, Eden cells can transform and we can identify Eden stage uh, transformation uh, from other stage transformation. Do you take a quick question clarification? Yes. It's in the room chat. Shall I read it for you or could you read it yourself? If you slide from left to right. Uh, it might be I, I think if you read it for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could just uh, read it. So the, the, the question is, do the cure rates at 75% in pediatrics and 50% in adults include five years free of T or malignancy? or only current cure rate of eradication of malignancy in oncology patients presenting with TR? That is a question by Chris, Christy Berkeley. Mm, thank you for the question. So I'm not a clinician, but I do believe uh, the cure rate represents, uh, I want to say response to uh, first induction therapy. Um, now, the relapse 
I believe, well, the relapse is about 25% in pediatric patients. Um, I can't say for sure, uh, just because I'm not a clinician. Um, Christy, could you clarify your question a bit? I was just wondering, um, more when I saw the figures, but um, I was just wondering about um, if it was, if the cure rates that you had mentioned in your slide, because I've been following along with your slides, um, if they were just for the patients as they presented, I just wondered, wondered if it included uh, like a five-year free of cancer, mm. but it is, so you're saying the cure rate that you have on your slide is just for the initial presentation of TALL. Right. Is that I, right? I think so. I think it's mostly for the initial presentation. Uh, but if they do relapse, um, the cure rate is very, very, uh, very bleak at that point. So uh, even if I underestimated, um, you, you will not add much more to, to that number, I think. Okay, no, I was, just, I was just curious because I, I just was wondering if it was just a, for initial presentation or if that included a five-year um, cancer-free rate. So thank you for answering my question. I appreciate it. I'm enjoying your presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so uh, we can continue. Uh, so for the human data, uh, I'll just restate the uh, conclusion that um, uh, Eden cells can transform, and this particular stage of transformation is distinct from uh, if transformation has happened uh, during other stages. Now, uh, our slide 16, uh, very serendipitously for us, uh, we observed that OT1 mice can spontaneously undergo Eden stage transformation. Uh, this basically uh, makes OT1 an uh, even greater model because now not only can we study uh, healthy Eden cells in the OT1 system, we can also study uh, transformed Eden cells in the OT1 system. And we found that the uh, TALLs uh, in this OT1 mice uh, recapitulate the human disease quite well. So if we look at the uh, gross presentation uh, in figure A, uh, TALL in OT1 mice uh, is abri uh, abbreviated TOT. So if we look at the top picture, uh, we can see the lymphoid organs are uh, hugely enlarged with cancer cells. So uh, first shown is a large spleen, and then thymus, and then various lymph nodes. So this again is quite uh, in agreement with the human clinical presentation of the disease. Uh, and if we look at the surface phenotype of the tumors, uh, we can also see in panels F, G, and H, uh, this characteristic smear of CD4 and CD8 expression, uh, also reminiscent of the human disease. Now, how do we know that this is uh, even stage uh, transformation? Uh, well, if we look into panel D, uh, both in healthy and leukemic mice, all of the T cells basically express surface OT1 TCR. So that means any double negative cells uh, in the tumor will also be uh, TCR positive. So if they're DN, they're TCR positive, uh, they satisfy the criteria for being an Eden cell. Uh, 
So this shows that um, OT1 mice can spontaneously undergo uh, even-state even transformation. Um, a, another point that proves that, that uh, we have a good uh, disease model in our hands is uh, on slide 17. Uh, so remember I said uh, activity notch mutations is a cardinal feature of TALL. So it is gratifying to see that uh, OT1 TALs uh, in this mouse model uh, also harbor activating notch mutations. So what this table shows is that uh, for all these primary tumors we sequenced, each tumor uh, has a unique mutation. So this unique mutation also establishes that each tumor is clonal. Therefore, again, showing that the OT1 uh, system is able to spontaneously generate uh, TLLs that's reminiscent of the human disease. Now, at this point, we were really curious uh, as to what is causing the TLLs uh, in this system. And our first clue that TCR signaling might be involved came from this cohort study uh, shown next slide on slide 18. Uh, a very little bit of a background uh, is that in uh, mature peripheral T-cell signaling, um, three things are required. The TCR, of course, uh, the MHC presenting antigen to the TCR. This is because TCRs cannot recognize just free-floating antigen. It has to be presented to it by uh, MHC expressed on antigen-presenting cells. And the third thing is a co-receptor, either a CD4 or a CD8, but that is not dep depicted in this cartoon. So uh, the three components of TCR signaling, and that is all you need uh, to understand the remainder of the slides. So uh, in this experiment, we followed a different type of mice uh, to see which mice will de develop TLL over uh, some observation period. Uh, and first we can see is that wild type mice do not develop TLL. But in OT1 mice, as I've showed you, um, do develop TAL, and the incidence is about 10%. However, if we introduce the beta 2M mutation, which abolishes MHC, so abolishes TCR signaling, uh, the tumor goes away. Now, of course, it is very difficult to prove zero, uh, but we tried our best by following 190 mice uh, up to a year, and we still see no tumors. Therefore, we are quite confident in saying that uh, for this model, uh, TCR signaling is required for TALL generation. We also looked into some other mice uh, to try to discern other rules of transformation. Now, the RAG uh, mutation removes the ability of the cell to cut DNA and to therefore to generate uh, TCRs or even B cell receptors. Uh, so the fact that uh, a RAG knockout is able to also develop TALL shows that RAG-mediated DNA uh, recombination is not required for TAL generation in this model. The remaining two types of mice are really just a, a control uh, type of control mice to show that cancer generation uh, in our hands is not due to some special mutation that's specific for our colony of mice. Um, after establishing establishing that TCR signaling is required for tumor generation. We next also wanted to find out if the continued growth of the tumor cells still require TCR signaling. So we did this experiment uh, on slide 19. 
So what we did here uh, was that we injected early TAL cells into uh, wild-type mice that is capable of TCR signaling, as well as uh, MHC-deficient mice that are incapable of TCR signaling. Early TAL cells means that uh, these tumors have not been passaged through mice many times. So uh, they haven't had a lot of time to evolve away from the primary tumor. So as we can see from the photos, um, the tumor cells had no problem growing uh, in wild-type mice, which is capable of uh, TCR signaling. Uh, so we can see this characteristic enlargement of the lymphoid organs and the size of the spleen is uh, quantified in the graph. What we can also see in the graph is that uh, in beta-2M knockout mice, so mice uh, that are incapable of TCR signaling, tumors cannot grow. So this data shows that uh, the continued growth of the tumor cells uh, is also uh, dependent on uh, TCR signaling. But what happens if we now allow the tumor cells to evolve? Let's see on slide 20. Uh, so here we serially passaged uh, tumor cells through mice many, many times. So as expected, the tumor cells became more and more aggressive and the mice succumbed faster and faster. In fact, the tumor cells can become so aggressive uh, that we can uh, De derive a line to grow in the dish, and these are the TOT1 SI cells. So we injected these very aggressive cells uh, into mice that are not capable of TCR signaling. But if the cells can grow in the dish, they, they will have no problem growing in a mouse without MHC. So uh, indeed, this is what we see uh, as quantified in the graph, last column of the graph, uh, this late evolved aggressive tumor cells are indeed able to grow uh, in mice without MHC. So this shows that with tumor evolution, MHC requirement can be overcome. So just to uh, summarize what I told you so far about this uh, oncogenesis model, and this is on slide 21, uh, is that uh, TCR signaling somehow uh, it can, can give rise to transformed immune cells bearing active, uh, activating notch mutations. And if TCR signaling is, uh, is allowed to happen, um, this can eventually lead to continued growth of the tumor, uh, and this leads to overt cancer. But with uh, tumor evolution, uh, the tumors can gain aggression such that the MHC requirement for growth is lost. The empty space on the right is intentional uh, because we wanted to see uh, what was happening to the yet healthy and untransformed even cells that kicked off these downstream events. And this is uh, what we did on slide uh, 22 to try to uh, figure that out. So now we're back to untransformed uh, healthy even cells. So in uh, mature peripheral T cells, uh, TCR signaling requires co-receptor, either CD4 or CD8. But we find that this is not the case for immature even thymocytes. So when we looked at uh, NER77 expression, which is a marker for TCR activation uh, in mice that are uh, deficient for all types of MHC, uh, so they are not capable of TCR signaling, versus wild-type mice that can do TCR signaling we see that even cells in wild-type B6 mice express higher uh, NER77. 
So this indicates that um, Eden cells can respond uh, to endogenous MHC ligands in a uh, co-receptor independent way. Now this uh, observation can be recapitulated also in the OT1 system uh, in a more controlled fashion. And this is shown in panel D. So in this experiment, OT1 thymus uh, is isolated from um, mice without MHC. Uh, so that these uh, OT1 Eden cells would have never been exposed to endogenous TCR signaling. And then we can culture them with exogenously added MHC presenting different peptides uh, for the OT1 TCR. So what we can see, what we can see in the graph is uh, relative to the negative control uh, peptide FAR, uh, OT1 Eden cells is able to upregulate the activation marker CD69 uh, in response to its strong antigen uh, over peptide. So now because we know Eden cells are uh, negative for the co-receptors, uh, any response to uh, the signaling peptides uh, must be co-receptor independent. Now interestingly, interestingly, this property to signal without co-receptors uh, is also retained in transformed Eden cells. And this is shown 20, slide 23. So on this slide, we did sort of a similar experiment uh, just with the transformed uh, Eden cells that uh, you've seen before. We use these cells because they have a classic uh, Eden phenotype. So uh, if we look at uh, the flow plots in A, uh, the left two panels uh, show that these transformed Eden cells are double negative for CD4, CD8, and they have surface TCR expression. Uh, the right two panels show that they are a post-beta selection cell type. So they are at the uh, expected uh, developmental stage that we expect in the cells to be. So then in B, uh, we again culture these cells with antigen-presenting cells, um, presenting the various peptides for the OT1 TCR. So uh, very similar to uh, what we saw in the healthy Eden cells uh, relative to the negative control uh, far peptide, uh, the transformed Eden cells is able to upregulate activation marker uh, in response to uh, the weak Q4H7 peptide as well as the strong over peptide. And uh, this response is not impacted at all uh, when we block CD8, which is the co-receptor uh, used by OT1. So again, this shows that um, in both uh, healthy and transformed Eden cells, they are capable of uh, TCR signaling without co-receptor. And this is very different uh, than what we understand of TCR signaling just in uh, conventional T cells. So uh, to summarize uh, what I told you and to put everything in kind of uh, the, the context of the entire story, uh, on slide 24 uh, is this multi-hit uh, model for Eden TAL generation. So in this model, uh, Eden cells, healthy Eden cells with wild-type uh, notch uh, protein is capable of co-receptor independent signaling. Now, through a yet unknown number of uh, other steps, um, somehow it can lead to the generation of transformed Eden cells with activating notch mutations. Uh, and with continued TCR signaling, this can lead to overt cancer uh, that can be very aggressive. So co-receptor uh, independent signaling 
in this model is, is really the driver event uh, for this TAL generation. Now, it's uh, important to note that uh, there can be many mechanisms uh, to lead to TALL, and we're only characterizing this particular mechanism um, in our work. So still uh, many questions uh, remain, and this project is actively ongoing. Uh, some of the things that we are currently looking at uh, is presented on slide 25. So on the developmental side, uh, we would like to further characterize the cellular landscape of the Eden cells using um, uh, omics approaches. So this means looking at their genes, looking at their signaling pathways, uh, and we hope to find a clue as to why this particular stage is susceptible to oncogenic transformation. Now on the cancer side, uh, we certainly want to find out what is the prevalence among TALs that actually uh, exhibit this Eden stage transformation. And does this stage uh, transformation have any impact on how the disease responds uh, or relapse uh, in response to treatment? So we hope findings from this endeavor will uh, help us improve uh, risk, risk stratification. And finally, just uh, the acknowledgement slide. Um, this work really benefited from the generous help of many people over many years uh, across two institutions. Uh, many of these people are my co-authors, uh, but today I would just like to uh, in particular acknowledge my PI, uh, Dr. Adam Schramm, uh, because he is ultimately responsible for creating a, a very pleasant, very collaborative and highly effective uh, research team out of this many of us. And thank you for your attention and I'll be happy to hear your thoughts. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Kim, for this wonderful presentation and for explaining um, this to us in, in such a um, way that, you know, I could understand it. So I think um, everyone then should do it. So um, it's, it's so interesting, the work you did, and it will, I think, help a lot of people understand these mechanisms so much better. So uh, congratulations again for your work and um, and for it's it must be it must have been very labor intensive. So how long just that people get a better idea? How long did it take to to do all this research that you presented today? Oh, <laughs> so the project itself uh, lasted, I believe, twelve years. Um, because from the initial uh, initial identification of the uh, tumors uh, to the actual elucidation of the mechanism, um, uh, that, that was a very long time. But the I guess the mechanism is what people are most interested in, and uh, that's the most of the part where I came in. And this was done in the last five years. So uh, it is a long journey, I, I think. Yeah, wow, that's, um, yeah, that's really good, you know, to point that out, I think. Um, you know, it, it gets condensed into these images and into this, these papers, but, um, 
I think it's really, uh, you know, important to point out like how much um, amazing work this was and um, to get to this knowledge. And um, so, yeah, so thank you for, for that. And um, so you, um, it was mentioned before and also an article that I read about um, your paper that um, an autoimmune reaction can cause this EADN to turn into cancer and that you know many cells in the thymus can not do this um, so so this autoimmune reaction um, do it's do you know i know it's not like very specific to this field but for people to know like what can trigger this is there something that can trigger this specifically um you know just for people maybe to get an idea how, how you know how these get triggered or if it's just something that just happens right uh, so, the the short answer is we don't know, um, but the 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 word autoimmune really just means reacting to self, and the ability to react to self is uh, a critical part of how T cells de de develop. Um, so to be a great uh, a functional T cell that. Uh, that leaves the thymus and be able to function in the body, uh, it really has to go through uh, some kind of calibration. So first, it must be able to react to self, actually, uh, for a little bit, just to make sure that the TCRs are functional, are, are working as they should. So they need a little bit of reaction. And this just confirms that, yep, you, you, you are made correctly, so you can go on. But uh, if the next step, the, the T cell is found to react too much to, to the self, then they will die. Because uh, then if this T cell is allowed to uh, leave the thymus, it will then create really autoimmune diseases uh, or reactions that, that will be harmful to the host. So um, for cancer generation in this particular model, what we uh, currently cannot distinguish will be two possibilities. Uh, one is there's nothing wrong with uh, the body itself. So what the, the developing T cell sees is what every other healthy uh, developing T cells sees, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with the structure, with the rest of the body. But that T cell, that thymocyte itself might have a uh, might have a failure in calibration of sensitivity. So you might be seeing a thing, an antigen that is supposed to tickle itself a little bit, but it has now an over exuberant response and you might go cancer. So that is one possibility. Um, the other possibility is um, maybe something is wrong with uh, the rest of the body. Maybe uh, the, the T cell itself uh, is is perfectly okay, but maybe it's seeing 
a particular antigen, and that antigen is triggering a stronger than normal response. Uh, and that causes the thymocyte to again mount an over exuberant response and go cancer. So uh, currently we are trying to figure that out. Um, because the TCR is involved, it certainly involves uh, antigen and receptor, but we just don't know which side uh, the, the, problem, uh, the problem lies. It could be both. So that's really interesting. Um, yeah, it, it could be both and maybe it is. So do you think that will be a way to pre-screen the risk, um, you know, the this ongoing research? Yeah, that is, um, mm. so in general, TALL is extremely rare. So just on the population level, um, it seems that people have decided that there's not much benefit in screening for this disease. I believe it's in the single digits per million children. So uh, it is a exceedingly rare disease. And among the all those cases uh, to have this particular subtype of TAL, I think it will be even rarer. So while it, it will be great if we can, if there is a way to successfully screen for, for it, um, I wonder if the a barrier is, is more with the efficiency of the exercise. But do, do you think that knowing this mechanism could, um, could be a mechanism that could, like a principle that could be important also for other a cancer triggering mechanisms, basically, if you you know, if you find out what the predisposition basically is. Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is a very interesting point. Uh, that is a very good point. Um, that really deserves some thought um, because the ability of the, uh, the developing thymocyte to react uh, and to mount an inappropriate response uh, and is allowed to get out of thymus uh, will have huge implications. So uh, I think you make a very good point in not uh, only cancer development, but uh, the development of autoimmune diseases. That is a good point. Yes, thank you. So, so related both to, to autoimmune diseases and um, uh, you know, potentially finding uh, subsets of, of the population where it is, it is not, you know, single digits per million. Um, when you mentioned that uh, um, these cells can be uh, MHC independent, uh, I immediately thought of uh, um, the question, or that immediately raised the question, you know, can it be uh, MHC dependent, but antigen dependent and, and refining the question further, um, are there important special cases where you have 
um, antigens that are um, not perfectly bound by MHC. So this is this is like when if you think about say a response to a virus where you have a T cell epitope and there's a mutation in that epitope so that it doesn't uh, doesn't bind perfectly. And the result of that is something like uh, either autoimmunity or uh, uh, on, on the other side, um, T-cell energy or apoptosis. Right. Yeah, I think that is a good point. Um, in this case, the, the host has nothing wrong uh, Right, the, uh, the the T cell development is uh, going on correctly, uh, and the antigen uh, presentation, the selection system in the thymus is functioning functioning co correctly. But you will have a, a, some sort of uh, infection, and that uh, exogenous antigen is causing a. Uh, is is causing a aberrant reaction, and that results in uh, a bad clone uh, escaping, either as a tumor clone or an autoimmune clone. Yes, that uh, I believe that is uh, an implication that that we should think about. Sounds very interesting. Thanks. Thank you. I wonder what the effect of an infection would be on this process or a chronic infection? Mm. That is a good point. And, um, and this is probably a future aspect uh, that we should think about because in, um, in mouse models, uh, these mice are, are kept uh, specifically away from uh, sources of infection. Um, um, but I think that, that that definitely is um, something that we want to look into, particularly because we want, we have uh, the intention of looking at what kind of TCRs, if there's a bias in uh, some types of TCRs uh, that are more oncogenic. So an uh, implication of that will be our antigens that also biased. Uh, if some antigens are, that there's a preference for some antigens, then that will speak to the persistence of low level but chronic antigens such as from a chronic infection. So yes, those are definitely important areas that uh, we still need to unpick in, in this model. Thank you for your answer. Thank you for your question.
I wonder if Katarina has unmiked or not. I don't hear her. Can you hear me sorry. now? Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Somehow the unmiking didn't work before. So yeah, if anyone has any questions, please go ahead. Um, Denise, LT, Swampy here, I saw you joined. Uh, please go ahead. I, I do have a question, but Denise, do you have one ready? You can go ahead, please. After you. All right. Thank you. The, uh, the great presentation. Thank you. Um, I have a question that is related about when you say that about 60% of the the tumors you follow up, they have this notch mutation. Uh, I, if I remember correctly, notch has a family, right? Is it the which notch? Uh, molecule will will associated with this particular kind of line of research. Thank you. Uh, this is notch one. Notch one. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I missed that. And then, is it possible to sort of like have people? If people, uh, I was thinking of early detection. Is is that maybe too low a percentage to thinking even in that line of thought? Thank you. Uh, do you mean early de detection in uh, people? Yeah, might be. Yeah, people who, like who because not, uh, just uh, apparently healthy people. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you got me. Yeah. Right. Uh, so right now, uh, just mm. overall, um, I think epidemiologists do not recommend uh, screening for TALL just because this whole disease is very rare. Um, so they they feel you know maybe the efficiency of the of this whole whole uh, undertaking is not worth the benefit of uh, ca catching the the, the, the disease uh, because uh, because disease is so so rare you're most likely to get uh, other no kind patients. I said before you yeah, I said gotcha so very real meaning how real probably I missed the beginning of your talk did you say uh, no something in this? right I actually don't think I, I went through that uh, I believe okay. <laughs> Uh, three or four new cases per mi per one mi oh, per one mi okay. million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One million. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, then I should not be thinking in this way. Thank you. No more yeah, questions no from now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your amazing presentation. I had a very basic question, which is how does one test for TAL? It's uh, Is it a very difficult test to run? Is it Obviously, once it scales up, it can be inexpensive, but it's um, not, doesn't seem like it's necessary from an epidemiology standpoint or well, what would it take to test for a TAL? How long, how much? Right. Um, so there is really no uh, at home test. Uh, what people, uh, how people are seeing currently is really they um, patients start having, uh, you know, the the very overt signs of uh, of of being ill. Uh, so again, I'm not a physician, so I will not know the specific uh, symptoms, but I, I do believe there will be uh, night sweats, fever. Um, maybe difficulty in, in breathing, d depending on what the cancer is, what system the cancer is uh, affecting. Uh, only when it's, um, you know, v very severe, the patient is uh, presented, the, the, the patient presents uh, at the hospital. 
and that's when they will do a, a biopsy and uh, find cancer cells in, in the blood. Um, so I believe that this is uh, currently the way that TLLs are discovered. Um, they're, they're, um, I, I don't know if uh, just a regular blood work without looking for specific markers, uh, people routinely look for this as a possibility just again because this is so rare. Uh, it's only when um, maybe you have an extremely high white count uh, and then they, they might start uh, suspecting and I wonder, you know, that then it has to be the age group and everything and then by probably they, they will eventually come to the conclusion that uh, TL is a likely cause. Um, yeah, so uh, again, I, I don't think this is a, can be an over-the-counter kind of uh, test. Sure, I understand that. Um, yeah. I mean, just in the, in the context of the work that you're doing, how long does it take to test a specimen, for example? And is that where, where is that just blood work or? Ah, uh, so if, um, then it will be blood work. Uh, if you want to confirm if the, the patient is TALL, uh, what type of TALL it is, uh, then you will be uh, blood work um, or maybe bone marrow biopsy uh, to stain for T-cell markers. Uh, if they are uh, immature-looking T-cells in the peripheral blood, uh, typically that's a very good sign that it's a TALL. Uh, because there really shouldn't be immature T cells in the uh, in 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 the periphery, um, and then I th I want to say uh, that a, a typical practice now is to also send the uh, bone marrow or um, I want to say bone marrow for sequencing. So you will actually check for common mutations such as notch mutations or make mutations. Um, so that there is, uh, I guess, a, a standard panel both in the cellular marker expression as well as the uh, a mutation panel. And then that will be confirmed uh, as TAL in diagnosis. Understood, thank you so much. No Who else has questions? Katarina, perhaps you have another question? Yeah, can you hear me? Perfect. Uh, Swampy, I know you joined the stage. Do you want to add a comment or ask something, or did you just want to, to join us? Uh, I was kind of reading a little bit on this, by the way, on the internet, and it sounds well advanced beyond my protocol. Uh, I was going to ask you the thing about the thymus. My understanding from leukemia is, yeah, that it gets in the bone marrow, and I see this, and I know this drilling down as far as the cells and, and what works and what does not. Uh, the thymus, is that part of the thyroid? Uh, I know a lot of times when people go to get their uh, their blood work done, okay, they check about their, th their uh, thyroid. Uh, can you tell me about the relationship between this rare uh, I guess it's, is it like a virus and uh, the leukemia and the, uh, in the bone marrow, okay, and the thyroid? I'm, can you, is there any correlation there or I'm, 
just taking like thyroid and making it uh, an infirmant uh, thymus. Thank you. Ah, uh, the thyroid and the thymus are uh, completely different organs. Uh, I would not know anything about the, the thyroid simply because that is not uh, my uh, area. So the thymus uh, is part of the uh, immune system. Um, it is uh, it is right above the heart, actually. So I will say, yeah, so, uh, w without MD's knowledge, it is relatively close to the thyroid, I will say. Uh, but the, the thymus is really important when we are young. Uh, when we reach puberty, the thymus kind of just shrivels up. Um, uh, and it, it no longer uh, is very important in pumping out new T cells. We establish our the, the, our repertoire of T cells before we, we reach puberty. Um, so the uh, thymus is the site of uh, T cell uh, development and maturation, um, and it is the organ where T cells know what, uh, not not to attack itself, but to attack everything else. Uh, so not to attack the human itself, but attack everything else that, that it sees. Uh, so virus, yes. Uh, so typically, it will not go into the uh, bone marrow. Uh, if you see T-cell-like stuff in the bone marrow, that typically is a sign of cancer. And how cancer gets into the bone marrow is uh, probably through you know, abnormal receptor expressions, and they sense uh, other side of the signals that, that kind of draw them to the bone marrow. Um, but yeah, the thymus uh, is the primary site for T-cell development. Yeah, if I may add, there's a really cool, um, I don't know if anyone knows NPR Radio Lab. There is a really cool um, Radio Lab um, podcast uh, session about the thymus. Uh, where it describes really well, uh, they describe really well how the thymus is basically the training center of the immune cells. So the thymus has like a tiny copy of you and all your different cell types, basically, or cell surfaces. And um, and then the, the, the immune cells get trained in the thymus. And I think something like 80% don't make it through the training. It's so, it's, it's, um, as wasteful as the brain development, I think, or, or about similar. So um, if they keep not recognizing what's you and what isn't you, the, you know, the, the cells get destroyed. So, but it's kind of, you can imagine like a training center for your immune cells. And the thymus is like a mini you. Um, so so that's, um, that's it's really interesting. And there's a researcher, she is trying to take a thymus from donors and um, grow them like little slices and grow them in the petri dish and then expose them basically to the immune cells of the recipients and um, kind of apparently the thymus is able to uh, learn um, the recipients um, um, environment so like to copy when you transplant it to copy basically the mini you um, of the recipient 
and to treat like leukemia and stuff in kids it's it's really interesting so i just recommend that that, that podcast sorry kim <laughs> no that is an excellent description summary that, that i that couldn't have done better that that is actually i want to listen to the podcast too <laughs> yeah it's really amazing uh, so yeah i can only recommend it thank you yeah, uh, we've been going. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Oh, One last thing. To... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to thank um, Dr. Laff um, I'm sorry, Dr. Laffey for the presentation. It was incredibly uh, interesting to listen to, and I appreciate the slideshow that you went over um, with your research. And um, I guess the only, I just had one question is the next step in the research that you're doing is to determine, what are you going to try to determine how frequently in humans all TALL cases originate from these Eden cells? Or is that not the direction you'd be going in? Yeah, so uh, that is certainly something that we'd like to do. So uh, we want to see just how many percent of TALLs exhibit this Eden transformation characteristics um, as if that impacts how the disease responds to uh, treatment or whether these diseases are more or less likely to re relapse. Um, because right now, uh, how doctors classify TALs is really by looking at the bulk of the tumor. Uh, so, ah, it is all double negative uh, and, th and th this is one bucket or it's all double negative, it is one bucket. Um, but we are almost looking at the minor population that is present in the uh, tumor. So we want to see if there's any value uh, in, do in doing this. Um, you, you, it could be that there's no value, uh, there, there's no correlation whatsoever, but uh, it's just not that's not typically what's done. So we really, really wanted to see if um, uh, this minor population that's present in the TALL bulk, uh, you know, are, are they the cells that are responsible for relapse uh, or are they the cells that won't get killed by chemotherapy? So that is certainly what we're trying to do next. Swampy, did you have a follow-up comment or question? I did, and again, uh, I apologize, uh, Dr. Uh, Laffey. I got, I got in a little bit late, and kind of a little bit learning on this. Uh, the no good thing about, about the th thymus you'd mentioned as far as the immune system, uh, was this, is this really being looked at closely with regard to COVID? I know a lot from what I've heard, uh, the COVID works inside the lungs. And it has, uh, I guess, an antibody or an, uh, a reactant, right, that makes it uh, accumulate lots of fluid. And again, I apologize for not using the medical terminology. And basically, has the person has pneumonia. I was in an automo automobile accident with a 41-ton rock truck, and I got what's called mechanical pneumonia, in which my uh, lungs were filling up with fluid, and I had to take some blue crystals but the connection with is the thymus. Uh, how important is that 
with regard to the immune system? Uh, is it does it contribute, or is it the main source uh, for immune uh, system? And if so, uh, has there been a lot of research on that with respect to the COVID? Thank you. So the with regard to COVID, um, the T cells aspect of it is probably the uh, slightly less less characterized uh, arm of COVID response, because uh, what we've been focusing is the uh, antibodies uh, production, which which are produced by B cells. Uh, that's because it's actually a lot easier to to measure B cells in the blood. Uh, because to measure T cells and COVID specific T cells that um, that requires a lot more doing. Uh, so it is it is not easily done. It cannot just be uh, draw some blood and uh, test. So, but uh, the adaptive immunity um, T cells or B cells are equally important. And in fact, uh, B B cells cannot produce high affinity antibodies without the help of B, B, uh, without help of T cells. So uh, we uh, do believe that T cells form a very critical component of the COVID anti COVID response. Um, and they are, uh, uh, I, I guess they are conjectures or, or they are uh, ongoing research into uh, probably T cells will be forming the, the, the much more lasting uh, immunity uh, against COVID, even as the B cell antibodies start to go down. Uh, but again, it's just not easy to measure COVID specific T cells. Therefore, a lot less is known about the, the T cell branch versus the B cell branch. Um, as to regard to how important T cell, uh, the, the thymus T cell and response to diseases in general. I, and I think because uh, the thymus, the T cell repertoire is really established early uh, in our lifetime. So the aging of the repertoire is uh, important. Uh, like I said, after puberty, our thymus really become fibrous, evolute, uh, they, 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 they don't function as much anymore. So whatever T cells that we're armed with, we probably will depend on them for the rest of our, our lives. So, and I believe that is one contributing factor uh, that age might be uh, so, sort of a predictor for a bad COVID outcome. Uh, part of it is the, the number of available types of T cells that can respond to COVID decreases uh, uh, as we age, right? We, we have so many good T cells, but as we age, like everything wears out, start, things start failing, things start dying. So we kind of just lose uh, uh, some, uh, some weapons in, in, in our weaponry, if that's an analogy. So age, uh, the thymus no longer putting out as many new new T cells as we age. Uh, all that has an impact on uh, sort of a complex uh, response to COVID as we see over a population level.
Thank you very much. And then as far as the DNA, okay, my understanding, that's the reason that we age uh, because there's perhaps a mutation in the genes. And uh, I think overall that might be uh, somewhat similar. Uh, as far as the thymus, uh, and it's basically degenerative over age, is there any, last the thing is, I was going to ask you, is there any health, uh, health food, healthy ways to uh, in, in, encourage or increase the, the uh, operability of the thymus, or is it unable to be sustained, for example, like the liver, not drinking as much alcohol, not eating processed foods? Because uh, seriously, this is the first time I've ever heard of the thymus. Thank you, Dr. Laffey. Uh, because, and I'm just kind of curious, is there anything that can help uh, delay, okay, it's de uh, degenerative uh, operability. Mm. Uh, so there's, uh, for the most part, there's no way to uh, reverse the, uh, the evolution of the thymus. It is part of a physiology. And for the most part, we don't have to, uh, because we, we all kind of live pretty happily, uh, even though uh, by now, uh, since we're, most of us should be post-puberty, all of thymus would have evoluted. So there, there really is uh, not much added bonus to the boost in immunity, you, you know, to, to rejuvenate the, the thymus. Uh, but of course, there, there are specific conditions where, uh, medical conditions where uh, if they had a better thymus output, you probably will, will boost their uh, immunity. But that's to a boost it to a normal level, not boost to, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a superhuman level. I don't think that's needed. Um, as to foods and all that, I, I honestly don't know. I would say uh, just uh, exercise more, quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the late Dr. Wayne Dyer, he had leukemia. And suppo supposedly there was a diet called the APO diet, okay? And I think it delayed that. It gave him several more years. Not really sure about that because I'm big on science versus wellness, uh, natural in general, because I know the science, they, you know, you all have to go through a lot in order for it to be uh, passed using the scientific method. But uh, yeah, leukemia, thank you for sharing that this is a rare form of that. Okay. But yeah, the leukemia, uh, as far as it's, I heard getting into the lymph glands, like cancer in general. Uh, very hard to treat if you catch it late once it gets into the lymph glands. And that's all. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank yep. you so much. Thank you. I wanted to add that there was a paper that came out earlier this year that if children grow up under high stress circumstances, um, their immune system um, um, stops um, maturing prematurely so they cannot um, I think um, it stops too early so they don't have a chance to learn as much how to and that's not only a study I, I know that looks like it's in environmental factors but uh, I, I saw Iman, Eli and Mike uh, please go ahead yeah, before I ask what I was going to or mention, what I was going to mention, uh, Katarina, when you say stop developing early, does that mean uh, uh, increased autoimmunity or how, how does that uh, manifest? 
Yeah, so they didn't know that yet. They just said that it matures too early, so it kind of stops the development um, earlier than in, you know, in control group where they don't grow up in high stress levels. That's that's what I know right now, but I will check into the paper again and then just reach out to me. I can I can share it with you. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, so so um, you know there was the mention of of uh, thymus rejuvenation, um, and of course that's that's a really speculative topic, but it it is it, it has been coming up um, in connection with what is being seen in people who have uh, uh, had COVID infections um, because one of the things that seems to be happening is depletion of naive T cells, although it isn't unambiguous uh, that this is just depletion of naive circulating, uh, circulating naive T cells, uh, as opposed to uh, what's also going on in the bone marrow. But um, the, the argument is, is being made that uh, there is a restriction of of uh, through potentially a number of mechanisms, restriction of uh, the naive repertoire uh, by people who've undergone COVID uh, infection and especially uh, people who have experienced long COVID. And so I I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Hmm. Uh, I'm actually not very familiar with that, uh, that branch of research. Um, so I'm not sure if with COVID there is suppressed, uh, so you're saying there, there is both suppressed bone marrow output, uh, in addition to the wiping out of uh, peripheral naive repertoire? Well, so, so it's, it's, uh, circulating naive, uh, uh, T cells that seem to be depleted. And um, the question is, is this reflective of uh, the, the reserve, so to speak, in, in the bone marrow? Uh, but this has been um, raised as a potential reason that people might become uh, more susceptible to infections in general, new infections. Mm. You know, this, uh, I really don't know how to speculate on that um, because I'm simply not, I'm not able to connect um, bone marrow output uh, and then to thymic output because that will also be affected by the age of the thymus. Um, yeah, I, I believe this is this is in in adults, right? So we're right, we're talking in, about in adults. Post. Um. Yeah, I I wouldn't know also because it, it apparently does not happen to other people. Uh, I mean, it does not happen to everyone. So then, right? If it if it happens to everyone, we can maybe easier to derive some clues as to what is impacting the journey from 
say, a common lymphoid progenitor getting to the thymus and then finally maturing. Um, but if there's so much variability in COVID response, and even in people of the same age group, I think it's, uh, well, humans are not mice. So, uh, you know, the, the genetics and, and the human-to-human -human variability is so much. Uh, it is hard for me to speculate. Uh, no, absolutely fair. I mean, COVID's kind of a mess. Uh, not surprising. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, we've been going like for over an hour and a half. So um, just um, thank you so much for sharing your work and the presentation. And it's really interesting. And I'm really curious to see what your next results are based on what you shared with us here today. So um, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you everyone for coming and asking questions. No, yeah. Sorry, my kids. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> and um, yeah, we wish you all the best for your research and, you know, a lot of funding. And um, uh, yeah, I hope yes. we'll get to learn some more from you one day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you again for the invitation. And th this was very, f really fun for me, too. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to hear uh, that uh, you enjoyed it, too. That's very important. So. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, have a wonderful long weekend. Uh, enjoy your long weekend off. And um, yeah, I hope I hear you all back um, soon again. We will have more rooms um, next week. So follow the club if you like uh, discussions like this. We have on Monday Dr. Ruprecht from Germany coming. He um, will talk about this astrocyte work and how he established them as computational units. Then we'll have on Tuesday um, glioblastoma and how um, the brain invasion works um, on and yeah for cancer. It's cancer research and then we'll have a. Um, Di Pascali from Italy joining us to talk about his 3D printed biomimetic artificial muscles that he developed. And then we'll have um, mutations that protect from cognitive decline. And um, Thursday we'll have my friend and um, previous alumni. Um, he has research about goal-directed and habitual actions. He it's a uh, really interesting research in that field. And on Friday, we'll have Dr. Michael Levine from uh, Tufts. Um, if you heard about the Xenobots uh, research, and that was kind of in the news, he he did that. And he will he was here before and heard, shared his research. And he will share his current ongoing lab results with us that are also unpublished. So if you want to get a peek a preview and what's going to be published out of his lab. Join us next Friday. Okay, thank you again, Kim. Enjoy your weekend and hopefully I hear you all next soon. Thank you so much. You too. Close the room. Three, two, one. Bye, everyone.